Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Exit Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, coming with us live is Dr. Beverly Pulinitz. And uh, Dr. Bev actually and I have one thing in common for sure, which is we both have lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, although I'm pretty sure she lived there a lot longer than me. So uh, with no further ado, Dr. Bev, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I want to thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've looked forward to this conversation with you, so thank you. Thank you, and me too. And the reason I was begging you to come on here, not that I needed to because you were super cool, but uh, you're actually a full-fledged practicing Buddhist, and we have never had a Buddhist on the show, so I'm really excited to hear you explain all of that. Um, but before we get there, uh, do you want to explain a little bit about your background? Uh, you're a doctor, you're from Pittsburgh, you want to fill in some of the details? I would be happy to. Okay, I was born in... Uh... Actually, I was born in a little town uh, southeast of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the town is Brownsville, Pennsylvania. It's approximately 50 miles. And I grew up there until about the age of 12. And then uh, we moved to, into the heart of the city. And in moving to the heart of the city, I went from a small town to this huge city. And I, believe me, it's definitely culture shock. And... <laughs> I spent, uh, I did my junior high, high school there, and about a year of college or so, did a little bit of working, and then I moved uh, to Arizona, got married in Pittsburgh, had a daughter, and we both moved out here, and I've been here ever since, and it's one, it's definitely one of the best things I could have done for myself while out here in uh, Arizona, I went back to school uh, I also, before I came here, I became a, a licensed electrician in Pittsburgh and was able to come to Phoenix and secure a position as a low-voltage life safety technician, which if you've never heard of it before, it's the person who puts in the things that you find in a hospital, like nurse call, uh, intercoms, the, the, the button you push for emergencies, that kind of thing is what, what I installed. The little stuff. I wasn't going for that big heavy-duty stuff. And, and then I decided, you know, this is hard work. I think I can use my brain a little more. So I went to um, the community college, and I got a degree in electronics, a degree in, um, in business, because I wanted to have my own business. And went on to Arizona State University, pursued my uh, bachelor's degree. I went to law school for a year. Oh, my, Mike, I hated it. I hated <laughs> law school. Law school was just like this always fighting and arguing. And in the core of my being, that's not who I was. And so I left law school, went and got my uh, master's in public administration. And from there, went into the doctoral program for uh, education, and I received my doctorate in, in education. And all, all three of my degrees are from ASU. Uh, but, you know, at the time, that was the only game in town. And from there, I've, you know, been a professor, taught at the community colleges, and have owned my own business for a number of times, for a, a number of different ones, but all pertaining to health and wellness education. 
Um, and from there, fortunate, very, very fortunate, I ran into uh, two individuals who were uh, professors at South Mountain Community College, and uh, one is Liz Warren, head of the uh, Storytelling Institute. And I started attending classes in storytelling, and now I'm a certified storyteller. Out of all of the things I've ever done, I love storytelling the most. And you probably can tell because I keep talking. <laughs> actually, it's it's been the best uh, ever because it, I am an interviewer, but that doesn't mean I actually like to interrupt or ask questions. I like to just guide if it gets out of line, and that was perfect. So, wow. Um, I do have a couple questions I want you to kind of fill in, and I still would like to hear at what point you either became a Buddhist or were you always raised a Buddhist. But there was so much in that that I'm going to come back to, so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Ask the way. Um, yeah, so I mean, have you been a practicing Buddhist for like a long time? Did that happen during your education here in Arizona? Was it before? Okay. Uh, when I came to Arizona, I, well, I was born and raised a Baptist. And I, uh, while in Arizona, actually my first, I don't know, five, 10 years in Arizona, oh, I was having a time of my life, believe me. I was enjoying the freedom away from family because sometimes family, you have to um, give, tell them why you did certain things. I didn't have to tell anybody anything. I was out just enjoying my life and taking care of my daughter. And, you know, times was kind of hard, you know, single mom. And uh, I was always looking for side jobs. You know, I, I was working as an electrician, but and I was going to school, but I was looking for side jobs all the time to boost the income. And I met uh, a young lady. Her name was Fanta El Shabazz, and she was a Buddhist, and she chanted, Nam Yohurengecho. And I would watch her chant, and it just, it felt so good just to be in the presence of that energy. However, being a Baptist, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. That sounds a little weird, those words you're saying. And, mm -mm. and so uh, one day uh, she needed a ride to one of her Buddhist meetings, and she was running late, and her car was messing up. So I was like, okay, I'll give you a ride. And so when we got there, she was like, well, it's not, it's not, it's going to be over in a little bit. Why don't you just come on in and wait instead of coming back to get me? So I went in and I sat down and it was this room full of people and they were all chanting, Nam Yoho Renge Cho. And it just felt, I felt so good. I felt like uh, uh, a peacefulness. I felt like I was in a safe place. And the energy was, was high, but it wasn't like ecstatic. It was very soothing, but very high energy. And uh, after they finished chanting, they explained to me, you know, what they were doing, what it was about, uh, what Nam Yohorengecho meant, and asked me if I would like to participate. And, of course, I was like, I'm not saying those words. No, not me. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I thought about it for a while, and I was like, you know what? They said that you can chant for anything that you want. You can chant to be happy. You can chant, for, if you need money, you can chant for money. You, you're, you can chant for anything that you want. But in so chanting, you're going to also 
get those things that are good for you. So you can chant for bad things if you want. In fact, they said if you want, if you're, want to chant for drugs, you can chant for drugs and alcohol, or whatever. She, they said, however, you're going to find that through that experience, you're going to grow from it. And you're, you're, you, you, you may not get the drugs and alcohol, but you will get an understanding of why you should not be doing it and why it's not good for you and the energy and just be able to move away from that, which I, at the time, you know, that was not what I was trying, I wanted to chant for. I wanted to chant for the income to take care of my daughter and I. And so I agreed. I said, okay, I'll give it a little try. And I tried for 30 days, tried for 90 days. And if it doesn't work for you, walk away. No problem. So it's like, okay. So they taught me how to say the little funny words. <laughs> and, I, and I would chant with them. And, oh, my goodness, so many things started happening in my life. Oh, it just took off. Uh, Income-wise, business-wise, job-wise, started teaching. And uh, my outlook on life, it, it started to change from... I, I had always thought, you know, if good things are happening, oh, my God, something bad is bound to come along. And through chanting, these good things started happening, and I'm looking like, uh, something bad is going to happen for real because this is really too good. And through what's called daimoku, uh, through that constant daimoku, the bad never really started showing up. And if it was bad, my perception of it, it was not bad to me. I, I, I had a different outlook on it. Instead of being um, where it came in and just threw my whole life out of whack, I could see it from a different perspective and, and have a understanding of what to do about it. And so I continued to chant and just life just kept getting wonderful. I would, it, it helped me to move through all of the degrees that I just mentioned because I started chanting. When I started chanting, I only had, I had one, I believe one associate's degree. And through that experience, I was able to, to chant and to um, go to school and take care of my daughter, work a full-time job and just accomplish a, a, a number of things and at the same time helping and teaching other people to chant and and, and when I say chant I, I'm using it loosely because there's a lot more to the uh, the practice of Sinitra and Daishonin Buddhism and here in the United States it's called SGI USA and it's not only chanting Nam Myoho we also have a book called the Lotus Sutra, and we chant, we, we, we recite two of the chapters of the Lotus Sutra twice a day in, in, in our prayers. So twice a day we, we chant, we recite the Lotus Sutra, and we pray. And that, that is just a, a practice that has sustained my life and made it just a beautiful life. I mean, this is awesome. I'm actually like profoundly at peace with the way you explained it and described it. It was actually like, especially hearing it, I've never even heard like really the chanting and it rolled kind of off your tongue. Um, 
I want to ask the only question we usually ask guests right now because it will it will totally shape the the rest of this interview uh, however you want it to go. So in in my quest to hear how people live their life and what decisions they make, the the question I ask is, what do you think happens when you die? And the reason I ask that is because I my theory coming into this podcast was that people tend to behave the way they behave out of either a fear of death, a looking forward to a place you go after death, etc. I mean, there's a million answers, but I've never really talked to a Buddhist. So you are a Buddhist. You were born and raised Baptist. So as a Buddhist, I'm going to assume you you share or have some of their belief in it. But what is your, what is your personal Dr. Bev uh, opinion? What do you think happens to your consciousness, to your life when you die? Wow. Mike, that is a super, super, super deep question. And I have experienced being a Baptist, the fear, oh my God, the fear of burning in hell forever and the darkness. And as a child, I would be afraid to go to sleep. It scared me so bad. I didn't want to close my eyes. And I didn't want to be in the dark. I wanted to sleep with the lights on. And I have to laugh because to this day, I can sleep very well with the lights on. <laughs> and I, I, I'm sure that comes from that fear that's instilled in us as a child where we sit in church and listen to fire and brimstone. And so when I became a Buddhist, I would... Um, there's a lot of studying that goes into to Buddhism because it's a practice of faith, practice, and study. And so you don't just have to have blind faith, like, oh, it's going to work because somebody said it was going to work. No, you read, you study, and then you experience the benefits of, of, of practicing the Buddhism. And so I would always perk up, especially during the study periods of uh, karma and what happens, you know, after you die. And it's all based in that theory of karma that uh, when you create karma, and you can create karma whether good or bad based on your thoughts, words, and deeds. And so if you're going around thinking bad things about people and doing bad things to people, um, then that's the kind of karma you're creating and you create that karma exactly when you do the deed the karma is there in your karma storage and in that karma storage some point in time it's going to come out now it may not come out in this lifetime however it goes with your spirit wherever you go and it will come out wherever you're born again so in the buddhist philosophy this unique thing that makes our this, this flesh and blood body work, that spirit does not die in the sense that we use the word die. It merely, our spirit removes itself from the flesh and blood and is that, that uniqueness of us is somewhere in the universe learning more, looking at what we've done in the past, looking how our lifetime was in the flesh and actually being able to, um, I won't say help people that are still in the flesh, but we're not separated 
from those who have passed on. And so now I think of it as a, a doorway that we pass through, our spirit passes through once the flesh, we're, we're, once we're finished with the flesh and blood. While we're here in the flesh and blood, we're able to learn lessons and we came to the earth to learn these lessons. And if we're successful in that lifetime, we've learned the lessons, we move on to the next one. And so in believing that that uniqueness of us, that spirit does not die, that it moves on to its next existence. Now, that's my opinion. Now, my opinion is also mixed with a little bit of, um, uh, of that Christian upbringing in that I don't know what's on the other side. So Bell's logic is, is pulling in and saying, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I haven't been there. No one's really come back and told me what happens. I've read stories, right. But how am I to believe that they really died? I don't know. And so I still have that, that kind of doubt that's sitting there over on the side. Like, hmm, what really happens? But through, through my Buddhist practice, I'm able to be more comfortable with the thought of people passing over, passing into their, their next existence. I cannot say that I have reached a point where I'm comfortable in moving in that direction. Ah, that's interesting. <laughs> but I kind of, when, when people, our loved ones pass on, I can know that I will miss them here in the flesh because I love them and I want to be around them and I want to share things with them and, and, and I'll miss them. But I also don't feel like they're dead and I'll never be with them again. So, okay, I th first of all, awesome answers and a thousand plus points for like brutal, brutal honesty as far as like, of course I think I understand this, but I actually don't, I'm not ready for it because I think that's a very similar point I get to. Um, you know, I just got a lot more life I wanna live and I, I like what I'm seeing and uh, I wanna stick around. So I'm curious though, because the absolute like paralyzing fear of the Baptist upbringing compared with the Hey, what comes around goes around. You know, you gotta, you gotta. Consequences exist for a reason. So you're not scared of dying now. You just don't. You still want to live. Is that a correct assessment? I do the logical assessments, and there's a fear there, but I know where the fear comes from. It comes from that Baptist upbringing. And am I comfortable with dying? Nope. <laughs> However, because of my Buddhist practice, I can turn the lights off and go to sleep. Okay? I can chant Nam Myoho And that eases that, that fear that was injected in my, my core as a child. But through chanting, I can feel it lessen because chanting isn't a one-time thing. It's a consistent thing every day, over and over and over. It is a form of verbal meditation. And when you meditate, you're able to 
connect with your spirit being, your the, the true essence of you. And so through that meditation, I'm able to soothe those thoughts that have come along with me from my childhood. And so I didn't get the thoughts in one day. I'm not going to get rid of them in one day. But I have a mechanism to move forward with my life, live a happy life, and know that when the time comes for me to pass over, I can chant Nam Cho, and it will make my journey uh, much easier. There's there's a saying in uh, in our Buddhist practice that when you pass over, don't fear because there will be Buddhas and Bodhisattvas on the other side there to greet you. And let me explain what a Buddha is. A Buddha is not this uh, huge being that is kind of like this God self thing. The Buddha is within all of us. It's a Buddha nature. It's our nature. It's our core. And it's called the Buddha nature. And so everybody can be a Buddha. Everybody has that, 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 that heart in them that they can live to, to their highest potential, their highest love, their highest uh, caring for humanity. And that's in all of us. So when they say that a uh, uh, hundred thousand Buddhas will welcome you, that's all everybody's Buddha nature will be there to welcome you home. Cool. I love that. And that sounds very inclusive, which is something I'm all for. So is it, um, uh, I, it's a question I have is just, so do Buddhists really care one way or the other, how many people on earth right now are considered, are considering themselves Buddhists and practicing Buddhism, or is it like a much less hands-on approach to like what other people are doing? And it's just like, Hey, don't worry about it. There's other Buddhas and they'll meet you when you die. Well, uh, SGI USA the Buddhism of Nietzsche and Daishon, and that philosophy, uh, we would love everybody to practice that philosophy. SGI USA is a world peace organization, spreading world peace through individual happiness. And so we don't expect everyone to, to chant. We uh, approach people one-on-one by our own life force, our own how we show up in the world will attract people to say, what is it that you do? Why do you, why do you think or feel the way you do? What is it? And then we can tell them what it is that we do. We chant, and through chanting, you can elevate your life condition to, and to become absolutely happy. And what absolute happiness means it means that even though you're facing difficulties you can still maintain this this spirit of happiness instead of being down and out and because when you're down and out like that that energy that you're putting out you're going to attract more energy just like that and so it gives you a way to look at your situation for exactly what it is maintain that core happiness in your spirit and move forward in that direction. And so I think I might have gotten off your question a little. No, 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 you're not actually. Um, and I actually wanted to compliment you. I can see why you have like an alphabet soup of degrees because you're very articulate. Like I, I will ask a question and you 
answer it and you're like understand it and you're really like parsing through the components of it. So this is a, this has been fascinating. Um, we're actually almost out of time, which is very sad for me because I feel like I have a million more questions about this, but I'd like to hear, uh, you speak more directly about like conflict, um, not anything overt, like you don't have to pick a situation, but how does Buddhism help you when you experience conflict, whether it's with a family member, a friend, or just like the larger world or work? Okay. Conflict or anger is something that I think almost everyone has. However, we learn to control that anger so that it does not turn into conflict. I personally have had a very, very reactive temper in my past. And through my chanting, I can control that temper. I can look at the situation and I ask myself three questions before I say something. And I will, I will ask my question. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And if the answer is no, I tell myself, shut up. There's no need to say it. And so a lot of times conflict comes from your interaction with someone, how you put out that energy and they come back at you. Now, there's also times when you may not have done anything. You're just a person and here's this other person in your environment that wants to harm you physically, mentally, verbally, however. And that's, that's your karma. And so you don't, you can't blame them. It's your karma. You have to take responsibility for why is that person in your environment wanting to do something to you? And we used to, I used to think, well, what in the world did I do to make somebody want to rob me? I don't, I don't know. Maybe in a past life or whatever, maybe I took from someone and now this is my payback for it. And so we start looking at conflict a different way. And we also look at um, uh, the people who are bringing this conflict and what is it about them? They're probably very unhappy or why would they want to hurt you, rob you or whatever? And so you, you have that compassion to want to help them. And even though you might not be able to say anything at that moment to help them in your heart, you are sending that kind of energy for their happiness. Now that's some hard stuff to do, okay? Very hard. But, but like I said to begin with, it's a daily practice. It doesn't, you don't just chant and, oh, it's all done and everything is good. No, it's daily, moment by moment, day by day. You, you live the Buddhist way. And that's, it's a practice. It's we keep trying and we keep trying and we make mistakes. We don't blame ourselves for making mistakes. We just keep trying. We, you don't give up. You just keep on trying. And, and you'll succeed. Well, that has been, like, I'm profoundly changed from listening to you speak about this. I've actually uh, never investigated Buddhism to the fullest extent that I would because I was too scared I would like it, and you've made me like it even more. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to have to do some serious research after this, um, and I'll probably even speak to you off off uh, the show and ask you some more questions. But, um, wow, I uh, 
I, I really appreciate you coming on. This was actually like incredibly short notice too. I just called you this morning and you agreed. So I'm so thankful, Dr. Bev. Um, you have been amazing. You've really helped us put another nail in the coffin here at Coffin Talk. Exit interviews with the living. Um, thank you again so much for coming on today. I, I don't want to interrupt you. However, before you end our call, I would like to teach you how to say Nam Miyoho Renge Kyo. I would love to do this. All right. Say it a little slower one more time. Okay. It's Nam. Nam. Miyoho. Miyoho. Renge. Renge. Kyo. Kyo. That's it. I'll say it with you. Come on. Okay. Nam. Miyoho. Renge. Kyo. Kyo. Nam. Miyoho Renge Kyo. Nam Miyoho Renge Kyo. Yeah! That's it! Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Bev. This was so special. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome. Let's talk again real soon. I so enjoyed this. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. I have a feeling you reached a lot of people who needed it. So thank you. And to all of my listeners, Nam Miyoho Renge Kyo. Walking alone